Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. It's Thursday morning, so hopefully everybody had enough time to get their questions in, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Patreon, it looks like Shurjur has accidentally stumbled across a clone of the Koryu Transcoder. The same massive piece of crap that's been cloning everybody in Retro also cloned the Koryu. So, uh, no, I have not tested it, don't have any experience with it, and as far as I'm concerned, they could all be lit on fire somewhere. So, not teasing you, Shurjur, it's very easy to stumble across a clone and not know it, but I would just strongly recommend picking up the actual original Koryu, and I'll leave a link to where the latest firmware update is, which also has links on where to purchase, and if you scroll down to the bottom of the post, that's the video I did about it that kind of goes through why anybody would want to use it. Obviously, Shurjur already knows why, otherwise they wouldn't ask the question, but if anybody else is curious, uh, Koryu is basically something that takes composite and S-video and converts it to component video, so you could use it through the OSSC or any kind of display that only has component video inputs. So, sorry, Shurjur, you stumbled across a, uh, a, a clone, but uh, glad that you checked before just purchasing. Couple of questions from Daniel Martinez Gonzalez. First, they want to know if there's any way to avoid the blackouts on screen when resolutions change with the open source scan converter. And with that device directly, no. You could run it through something like a, a different type of processor. And if you're doing it for streaming, then that would be a good idea. And you could even use laggy TV based processors. But if you're talking about gaming, no. Uh, and if that's something that really bothers you, you would have to go to the RetroTINK 5X and switch to its triple buffered mode for whenever games have multiple resolution changes. That'll add a tiny bit of latency, but in most cases, I wouldn't really worry about it. So that's something you're either just going to have to deal with or either add on to that solution or purchase a different one. Also, they've had a Sega CDX that served them well over the years, but going digital makes them realize it has some minor jail bar problems, so they plan on recapping it. The thing is, they'd also like to install a triple bypass and also a region mod while they're at it. They read that Mobius did a successful triple bypass on a CDX, but can't find info and the link on RetroRGB is dead. Do I know if there's a proper installation guide? So I have some thoughts on this. First, to answer your question directly, I don't know if Mobius is still selling that, and if there would be any newer installation guides, it would be on the wiki. Um, I'm, I'm going to attempt to move stuff off of RetroRGB soon. I've just been going all day, every day, and I haven't had a moment of free time, which sucks. I really wish I could just dedicate a week to that. But back to your topic. Um, so I don't know if there's anybody selling that right now, and I don't, I don't, or I at least haven't heard of any other updates. But here's something to consider. The CDX is a very rare and very expensive console. And if that really is what you want to use to game, that's awesome. And yes, I think it's worth pursuing all of this stuff. My personal opinion, which doesn't mean shit for your setup. This is just my own stupid opinion. But um, I asked Jose to do a full recap on my CDX. And there's also a trick where you put a little bit of black tape underneath the CD-ROM assembly because you could kind of see when you take it apart, it slowly rubs across the motherboard and you don't want that to rub across the solder mask because then you could damage the motherboard itself. So those are two things that I think are great in order to extend the life of the CDX. But for me personally, I left it completely stock. Now, I've been doing that for a couple of reasons. Uh, I actually have been mostly using stock original consoles because that's what I use to do comparisons against Mr. Analog, any of the console mods that are coming out. But also just because I love 
that the CDX is just such a cool and unique and interesting device. And I really only plug it in and use it when when I need an original Sega CD experience that I know is going to be a lot more seamless than the Tower of Power or anything like that. And I kind of like how it's just all original. But like I just said, I mean, that, that should mean nothing to your setup. You do whatever it is that you want. Hunt down a triple bypass. See what you can do. I'm all for all of that stuff. I just wanted to add a little bit of perspective because if you're like me and you also had a different model of the Sega Genesis and maybe you also had a different Sega CD and a 32X, then maybe that would be the one that you'd want to do all these awesome mods for that are readily available and then save the CDX to be like a special thing. But 100% up to you. I just always like to add different perspectives because even if you completely disagree with me, it's always interesting to have another perspective. I mean, at least I think it is. I think it's illegal depending on what subject you're talking about today, but all nerds should hear both sides and decide for themselves. And, you know, I just wanted to add that to it. But congrats on owning a CDX. I love those little consoles. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Couple of things from the Remora. First, last week someone asked about PS1 link cables. They've been working on modding one because they're lazy and don't want to type in game shark codes with a controller. And it seems that the PS1 used the UART protocol for the link port. At least that's what the Unirom guide says to use for a Pi Pico. And that probably means PAL to NTSC links would work, but they don't know enough about UART to know if 60 versus 50 hertz would matter. So that's good info, and I still haven't heard back from anybody who's tried that before. So maybe somebody with a link cable would be willing to give that a try, just, just for the knowledge, and you know, contact somebody who works on the wiki just to leave that there as a note. Next up, uh, has anyone done and recorded lag testing on the Retro Fighters controllers? Their goo has failed when they try to search for results. They just picked up a Defender, and while they haven't used it yet at the time of this writing, they will after it finishes charging. Not that I know of, my go-to, as always, is the input lag sheet on MrAddons.com. Um, that's that's the one that I go through all the time, especially because I know how Pork does those tests, I know the hardware that's used, and I know it's incredibly reliable. So I would check that and just to see what happens, but if not, maybe we could get some controllers over to Pork and see if he would have time to add those to the list. Next, before Retro World Expo, they asked about using 1080p HDMI to component video to a data path vision instead of HDMI to VGA. They were asking because in their setup, that'll keep everything in the same color space and will simplify some settings. Their setup routes all of the video out of an Xtron crosspoint and to the data path, which unfortunately has one input. They have both devices, and both are well past their return period. This is for their HDMI consoles only. They plan to switch their retro consoles through the crosspoint and upscale them in OBS. So that's some that's extra info that's important to know. I remember that question too, because I, I think I reminded about using HDMI to DVI converters and other ways to use it, but that makes total sense. You want to keep all of your stuff on the same switch, including HDMI, and you want to run it through there. Uh, so that should work completely and totally fine. I don't think any of that would have an issue. You would just have to realize that when you go analog into a capture card, you need to set any of the timings and the phase and stuff like that. And 
you could just leave it as is, and it, it might look absolutely fine. The only thing I would add is if you were doing any archival work, like, oh, no one's ever seen a hidden level in a game or something like that, it might change it, make it blurrier, might add something, or, or add some interference. But generally speaking, if you're just doing, like, streaming or, hey, check out this thing, then it's no problem. It's really only an issue if you're the type of person that does comparison videos, which is a massive pet peeve of mine. I've seen so many comparison videos where they start calling out things wrong with one version and they're actually talking about problems with that SCART to HDMI scaler or their capture settings or something else. And I finally understood why people used to get frustrated with me for that, because once you understand what actually goes into making a perfect capture, which is near impossible, then you start to realize, you know, that what the different mistakes are out there. So by no means am I like shaming you for going digital to analog for capturing. I just wanted to add that perspective in case you're doing any archival work or comparisons, but just for streaming zero difference really no one in their right mind is going to complain that your phase is off if you're just playing a casual round of something and hanging out with your friends or they'll tease you just to be silly so uh good questions and hopefully somebody can test those retro fighters controllers jason sherman wanted to chime in about the conversation from last week about running fans at a lower voltage and i did not do a good job clarifying my thoughts and opinions on that my my hesitation to do that stems from designing medical grade pcs and meeting with fan manufacturers and discussing longevity of these PCs that are supposed to be in what we would call an embedded environment. So use case of 10 years plus running 24 seven. And that's when they were talking about different fan speeds at the time, at least this was late two thousands and how different methods of pulsing the fans and lowering the speed would actually lower the life of the fan. Now, Jason makes a bunch of good points that the bearings in the fan would probably die before any kind of electrical issues. And I completely understand all of that, but it's basically my job here to tell you what I know and admit that I don't know everything and, you know, always be the first person to yell when I figure out that I'm wrong about something. But the information that I gave last week came from absolute pros in the industry at that time. So it's pro it could be outdated info. They could have just re redid this circuits. And for me personally, I think I said this last week, I felt that the choice between possibly killing your fan versus having some decent airflow at a quieter at a quieter volume was worth it. You know, buy two $20 fans and then change them every couple of years if you need to or something like that. So uh, hopefully that came out right. I know a bunch of people were, were kind of curious about that and stepped in to add their thoughts. And I appreciated all of them. I think I responded to all pretty, uh, pretty quickly. And I tried to be polite, but please remember that I'm also always doing 100 things at once. So if I come across as snippy, it's usually just because I'm trying to give you the time to respond but I got to quickly move on to something else. So my apologies if I screwed that up. But one trick that Jason did mention that I thought was pretty interesting. Jason said that some fans run fine at a very low voltage compared to what they're supposed to run at, but won't start unless you turn have the higher voltage and then turn it down. So they were able to solve this by adding some capacitance on pin two, and you could just use any cheap capacitor because you know that it's going to be not a very high voltage or, or high power use case. So that's a neat trick. I've never tried it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, it sounds like something that would be safe to try, but of course, make sure, as Jason said, check that there's a physical fit or there aren't physical fit issues. So you're not going to jam a cap between something. Um, and Jason also made the point of 
I, I thought I kind of alluded to last week that adding a fan to a situation that could really use it and having the fan die, let's just say every year, right? It's probably unlikely. It's probably going to be almost, you know, you're probably going to have a fan that lasts as long as it would have anyway. But let's just say I'd rather replace a fan every year than have a, a, whatever thing I built or I'm working on die earlier because it's running at a much higher temperature for long periods of time. So, um, you know, I guess the short version of all of this is I still don't know 100% if it's considered okay to run some or all fans at a lower voltage. I would always exercise caution, but I'm always going to personally do it, because, especially for hobby projects, because it's worth the trade-off. The only other thing I would add is if I was part of a team that was building a project that needed a fan, I would contact the manufacturer and just say, here's what I'm installing it into, here's the voltage it's going into, what do you think? And usually they respond. Usually they'll they'll give you tolerance issues and stuff like that. Um, you know, most of the time. Some companies are so big they just don't even care anymore. But so yeah, if it's for your own project, I would just do it. And if it's for something that you're building that you're going to be selling to other people, take five minutes to write an email just to see if they even respond. But hopefully that that kind of adds things into perspective. And thanks to Jason and anybody who chimed in in the comments as well. Outer Zevin just picked up a Panasonic 3DO FC1 that's one of the Japanese editions with 240p mode switch. They'd like to hook this up to their existing setup using S-Video, and we're wondering who sells the best quality S-Video cables. They use an Extron Crosspoint Matrix switcher for their analog consoles, so they're looking for an S-Video cable they could hook up or adapt to that without interfering too much with the video quality. So... Um, that one is kind of an easy one and kind of a tricky one, and I just did this yesterday. So you're going to need an S-Video to BNC cable. Uh, I believe svideo.com sells them. You can find them on Amazon, but that's basically it. You could also use an S-Video to RCA cable and then just use those RCA to BNC adapters and not worry about it there. And, I mean, every time I do this, I always do the same thing. I forget which one is Chroma and which one's Luma. So I plug it into my BVM, turn it on. I almost always get it wrong in the first try. So I switch the cables and then it works and that's it. But I have it, I have my Extron Crosspoint set up that way. I have S-Video coming from my uh, CDI going directly into that. I think definitely my 3DO and I forgot what other console I have over there that's S-Video. I'll remember at some point, but I have that going into uh, inputs one and two. So technically that would be red and blue. And then I have outputs one and two of, or, you know, the, the ports of certain outputs running out of there. And um, that's basically it. And then I just turn everything on, make sure it works. If it doesn't, I reverse one of the cables and that's it. So try svideo.com, but you could also search Monoprice, Amazon, eBay, just look for shielded cables. And generally, this is not a solid rule, but generally, if you get BNC cables, they tend to be a little bit more shielded because BNC cables were mostly used in a pro environment. So as a result, you know, if somebody bought, like, let's just say you you had a, a, a shop that worked on video editing and you bought a hundred of these cables and they all showed up unshielded, that's a huge return. Whereas some crappy S-Video to RCA cable on Amazon, you know, if one out of a hundred people realizes they're unshielded, you don't really lose anything. So it, just because it's BNC doesn't mean it's fully shielded. It just, it's probably a little bit safer of a bet to do so. Um, also, they're looking for a low profile bracket for the Datapath Vision E1 S's. Does anyone sell these without having to buy another card? 
Um, I think this should be an easy find because there was one eBay seller that was selling off tons of these used cards that only sold them with the low profile bracket. So I would absolutely look around for it and see what you could find. Somebody listening has to have one. So uh, please chime in in the YouTube comments if you have one and maybe get one to Outer Zevin. But it should be cheap and it should be easy because so many of those were only low profile and people bought them and had to get the 3D printed ones. So good question. Hopefully people could help with that. Retro Music Dan wanted to follow up on last week's question about dodgy composite cables and their setup. The full setup is consoles going into a G-Comp switch, one output to a CRT, the other to a Tink 2X Mini into an EasyCoo 4x2 HDMI matrix switcher, and into one of those Cantlink capture cards and gaming monitor from there. So lots to test with. They did actually find that a few cables were just not plugged in very well, because it's kind of an awkward setup, but there's definitely an issue on at least a Nintendo multi-out composite cable. Basically, if it isn't perfectly positioned, they won't get picture or sound. Is it time to cut the problem part of the cable out and bust out the soldering iron? Yeah, I mean, I think I would do something like try to try to crimp the, the ring around it, the ground ring, a little bit to see if that helps. You could try, like, squeezing the, the signal head to kind of make it a little bit fatter on one side, but only do it a tiny bit because you don't want to break it or make it too thick and, and ruin the receptacle. But I would just give you know, two seconds with a pair of needle nose pliers to that, see if that helps, wiggle it around, and if it doesn't, yeah, snap, uh, snip the end off, and then just solder a new one on, and that should be pretty easy, because there's a bunch of them, I mean, you know, you could get, like, a 10-pack on Amazon for nothing, where you screw the bottom off, you slide it over, you, you know, you pull your stuff through, you solder it on, and it screws right back on, so it's actually pretty easy, you don't need any special tools other than your very basic, like, wire stripper, soldering iron, solder type of thing, so... Um, also, as a separate question, they received the 4K Gamer Pro over the weekend. They were wondering what my opinion is with using it with retro games in combination with the Tink 5X. Retro games with 2D graphics, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely awesome. Yes, you get the ringing around it, which drives people crazy because it looks like phase issues. It looks like edge enhancement. Some people hate that. Some people like the look. For me personally, I was impressed with how sharp it actually was. So the trade-off was worth it. I imagine, my guess, is that when the Tink 4K comes out, 2024 or whatever, um, if I put them side by side, I would like the Tink way better. But today, right now, there is no other option. So my conclusion today was that running 1080p into my OLED TV via the Tink 5X versus running that through the 4K Gamer Pro into my OLED TV I mostly preferred using the 4K Gamer Pro. I thought the the added sharpness was just pretty remarkable. And if you play with scan lines on, it's really hard to see that ringing. And in fact, you might even consider that it adds to the overall feel of a CRT-like look. I, I don't know. That's that's kind of just me sort of talking out my ass because you know it all depends on what CRT you have, what OLED you have, or, or flat panel. I mean, but. My my general opinion is, right now, today, there is no other option of sharp scaling to 4K, and it it's totally up to your eyes to decide, is that something that looks good on your TV or doesn't? My complete guess is that your average person with a decent TV, especially something like an OLED TV, could go either way, 
But if you're somebody with a 4K gaming monitor, generally speaking, the scalers and gaming monitors are trash. So you might really like it on your gaming monitor and just go, yeah, yeah it's probably a little better on the TV. But just my guess slash opinion, it's totally up to you. It, it just whatever you feel is the right answer because it doesn't add any lag. So if you love it, great. If you hate it, also cool. <laughs> so hopefully I, I added some perspective to that for you. One more from Shorjour. They know that I've tested lagless HDMI matrix switchers with two outputs. Do I know of any lagless ones with more than two outputs and perhaps more than four inputs as well? They need one for specific routing purposes. I have not uh, personally tested any of those, but what you're going to want to look into is HDMI matrix switches and take a very deep breath before you hit enter on that search because when you see the prices of those, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get blown back. Um, because remember, right, matrix switches were generally used in pro-only environments, which is why you can get a multi-thousand-dollar Extron Crosspoint switch for almost nothing these days, because they were in pro environments and they were pulled and basically sold just because it was one step over e-waste recycling. And because these places don't have use for analog signals anymore, but we do. However, all of these places still have use for HDMI signals. The only thing that you might be able to stumble across is used stuff with older HDMI protocols. So if any of these pro environments are switching to 4K120, they're going to have a lot of stuff that you could definitely use. But even stuff before that, you know, even stuff that might only go up to 1080p60 or something like that. So take a look for HDMI matrix switchers. I would definitely look at any of the used places, any of those surplus stores or anything like that. But generally speaking, you're probably going to spend a lot of money. I've seen some prosumer ones for under $1,000 that, that seemed kind of neat and something that I might want to test at some point. But for the most part, just expect to spend a whole lot of money. Sorry. Vladimir Raskin recently upgraded from a PVM20L5 to a BVM-D20F1U. Both are, by the way, amazing monitors. Uh, and depending on the life of the tube, one might not actually be an upgrade from the other. But technically speaking, if they were both brand new and perfectly calibrated, yeah, it is kind of an upgrade because you have more calibration options on the BVM. However, their actual question, not just my rambling about how much I love CRTs, is what's the best way to connect a Dreamcast to that BVM D series? Because the cable from Retro Gaming Cables worked perfect on the 20L5, as well as on the RetroTINK 5X, but not on the D-Series BVM. Excellent question. The cable that Retro Access sells has a circuit that's designed very specifically for the Dreamcast and for this issue. So that is the surefire way to get compatibility with everything that accepts RGBS. Now, you mentioned uh, 480p versus 576i. Um, that's kind of also the same as 15 kilohertz to 31 kilohertz type of thing. And that is another thing that you might run into issues depending on the monitor. But generally speaking, the retro access one will work. I believe the cable from the Foog also worked as well. Uh, they sold one that was VGA with an extra SCART adapter. Or you could use any Xtron RGB interface. Now, I do not recommend using that if you're only going to use it for the Dreamcast because it's overkill. It's one more AC adapter, it's one more set of cables, it's one more component that's used that could potentially go bad one day. However, if you have other uses for that, then it's something to look into. 
anything from the Extron. Like I used to use the 203 RXI for a while because it was three input, one output. That was kind of handy. But you could even get one of the 192s or any of the Extron RGB interfaces that I think the last time I checked, you could still get them for 20 bucks. So if you had multiple devices that you wanted to combine sync, now that includes PCs running at, let's just say 480p output, 640 by 480, anything that's RGB HV that you want to convert to RGBS, then you would, that might be a worthy purchase. Then you could do something like get yourself a VGA cable for the Dreamcast and a VGA switch. Extron's got a couple of cheap ones that you could probably still find on eBay. Run all of your VGA RGB HV sources through it, run that into the RGB interface, and then out RGBS. Uh, and if you even have something like a bunch of GSCART switches, the output of that Extron RGB interface could just be used with a BNC to SCART cable. You just might want to double check the voltage on those to see if you need a resistor in it. And that's one of those things where if you don't know, put the resistor in. The worst thing that could happen is you plug it into the GSCART and you don't get signal, and that's fine. <laughs> so, you know, always good to just be on the safe side with those. Um, so, yeah, the answer could be, depending on your use case, as easy as just get the retro access cable, or it could be... If you have a bunch of VGA sources, you want to connect those through a VGA switch separately into that. So that way you could have active sync combining, circ sync combining circuit to make that happen. A couple of questions from Ghost of the Sun. First, they're looking into using their mister on a CRT. And from the research they've done, it seems direct video provides a better analog output compared to using the IO board. So depends on your CRT depends on your total use case scenario. There's a lot of different things that, a lot of different factors that are involved. If you're talking about screenshots and side-by-side -side comparisons, yes, it seems like direct video does get better video quality because of the way everything works, because of the way the IO board works. It's not that one seller is making one better than the other. It's like a global mister thing. So, but that said, if you're predominantly playing on, let's just say, a HDMI flat panel and sometimes playing on a CRT, or you have a consumer-grade CRT that you're using component video, it's probably easier just to use the I.O. board and go that way. Now, if you have the ability to run RGB, then you might get an easier use case using direct video because the way direct video works, it's kind of a little more of a pain to get component. You either have to use a transcoder or build your own little mod board. I keep bugging Mike to uh, to try to make one of those for us. and But using RGB is as easy as getting any HDMI to VGA converter, uh, especially the ones that I link on the site, and then the HD15 to SCART, and you're done. And you would get a little bit of a boost. So if you're talking about Mr. Only Connected to a CRT and nothing else, yeah, it is kind of worth it. So, uh, moving on with our questions. How firmly established is it that this method is 100% safe for your CRT? As long as you use either a cable designed for MISTER or the HD15 to SCART, it's 100% safe. I'll leave a link to the article that I wrote about it with all of the proof you could ever possibly need for that. Um, uh, the, then Ghost of the Sun talks about having the resistor in it. Yep, all of that's right in the post, so I'm not going to rehash it all. But uh, they said they're probably being paranoid, but they weren't sure if any testing or anything had been done. So, yes, all of the testing's done. Everything's in there. Just make sure the resistor's on the sync line, and all of the links to everything that you need are going to be in that post. Also, welcome. Thank you very much for the support. Any other questions you got, fire away. 
SD Heavens has a pretty interesting problem that I don't know the answer to, but I might be able to add some perspective. They have a Vulux Arcade cabinet that's equipped with a 1080p DVI-D input display, which is compatible with a ton of HDMI stuff like the CPS mods, CPS Digital. However, it's not compatible with the Dreamcast or PS1 digital mods. And they believe it's because it only accepts a DVI-D signal and not an HDMI signal. So that's an interesting one. I'm not 100% sure that that is the problem. It could be. It's very plausible. And I also don't know the best way to go about doing, to go about fixing that without adding any latency. Anything that adds a buffer, of course, might work with that, but you don't want to add any latency to an arcade setup. So you could try using things like HDMI splitters, especially the ones that I recently reviewed that act as EDID devices. So you set the EDID switches on them. That might work. You could look into uh, devices that can send a DVI EDID. Maybe just an EDID spoofer at all would work. But you might actually need to convert the signal somehow. But what I would do first is reach out to the PS1 and Dreamcast Digital team, Dan and Kristoff, and just ask if they have any suggested settings for that. Maybe there's something in the code uh, maybe there's something they could easily add. I, of course, wouldn't ask a team to, you know, to make a major change for something like this to support older hardware, but who knows? Maybe it's as easy as just adding a flag that says DVI mode. Probably not, but I think it's worth asking at least. Um, so yeah, that's a weird one. Has anybody else run into this? Because anybody, I know a lot of people with Vulix Arcade cabs, they're awesome. So somebody else would have had to have run into this at some point. And yes, of course, you could just go analog to digital, but come on, we went through the trouble of HDMI modding these consoles. Let's see if we can get a true digital to digital solution for SD Heavens. So, um, yeah, hopefully somebody could chime in and help and maybe the team would help as well, but, uh, not really sure on that one. Two questions from Seacon. First, how quickly can a bad resolution or frequency damage a CRT? When it comes to using different sources on their non-PVM BVMs, they're always super afraid that a new source might damage the unit, especially with something like a Mr. or PC that has a wide range of outputs. So I always err on the side of caution with this. Do everything you possibly can to not send the improper resolution to any CRT. You know, especially with things like a PC. So even if you have it set to force 240p mode, maybe your BIOS is still in 640 by 480, 31 kilohertz. So power on the PC first, wait two or three minutes, then turn your CRT on, stuff like that. Basically, treat it like it would explode if you sent the wrong resolution. I'm, I'm exaggerating and being stupid, of course, but that's how I treat it because I like to err on the side of caution. However, in my experience... Sending the wrong frequency to a CRT for like a second won't kill it unless the CRT is already about to die. I've definitely heard people accidentally send 1080p to a 15 kilohertz only monitor and it died immediately, right there, that second. My guess, and this is a total guess, I could be completely wrong, my guess is in those scenarios something about that CRT was one breath away from death anyway, and that was the final nail in the coffin. My guess is that if you were to do something like, all right, let me test this out and see if I got my settings right, and you get your hand on like the SCART cable, and you turn on the console, or you turn on the setting, or whatever else, and the monitor goes crazy, and you pull the plug immediately, 
you're fine. I wouldn't do that every day. And if you had to do that every day for testing, I would buy a separate monitor that you don't buy something that's got terrible burn in and, you know, the brightness doesn't work. Test it on one of those just to make sure. So if you do kill it, it's junk anyway. Uh, But I would, my guess is that if you're testing out something, you send it the wrong resolution for a second or two. I don't think that would really do any damage. It's certainly not good, but it's not going to kill something. I could be wrong. If anybody has proof, please post in the comments. But, you know, the anecdotal, well, I did it once and my monitor died. That's not, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's not helpful because there isn't any data behind that to say why it died. This definitely killed it. This frequency to this display causes this to happen. It's really just, here's the result, which is, once again, I mean this with respect, that's equally as useless as somebody saying, oh, I accidentally put 480p into a 15 kilohertz monitor all the time and my monitor is 10 years old and it still works. Maybe you're still slowly killing it. That's that's not nerd facts. That's just anecdotal stuff. So meant all that with respect, but err on the side of caution. Second question. It's great seeing the recent arcade cab content as a fellow new Astro City owner. Thank you. There's going to be a lot more... I love working on those. I'm not nearly as good as my friends, but it's enjoyable, and I like building that stuff. But Seacon's actual question is, do I see any reason to get a Mr. Cade to interface a Mr. if they already own a JPEG? So this is an interesting question, because if you're talking about you've already installed a JPEG, it's already working, everything you're doing is fine, you're just kind of curious if there's any advantages... I'd say leave it alone, especially because I tend to tinker more than I game. So if you have something that you don't need to mess with it, just enjoy it. Now, if you haven't installed this, or if you hadn't even purchased anything yet, I would say a Mr. Cade, just because it's less than a millisecond's average latency. And the JPEG, I believe the one with the USB output, was rated at about 4 milliseconds latency. Now, I would be willing to bet that almost nobody, if not nobody, would ever be able to tell a three millisecond difference in controller latency. I'd probably bet one of my monitors that even the most pro gamers would not be able to tell that. And the Smash players that claim that it's three milliseconds of latency just are crazy. So that said, though, if you're buying stuff and you haven't purchased anything yet, buy the lower latency because it does all add up. Let's say... 10 years from now, your new Astro City monitor died, so your only choice was to get a flat panel. So that's going to add a couple more milliseconds. And, you know, let's just say there's something else that's come out that adds another millisecond or two of latency. All that stuff does tend to add up. So if you haven't purchased anything, then I would definitely get a Mr. Cade. You did mention that you already own a JPEG, so it's really up to you. Do you want to sell that on eBay? Do you want to, did you already install it? You basically have to kind of just decide for that. And the only other thing I'll add is that, um, and I mean all of this with love and respect. So it's one of these things where I know people are going to take this out of context. People are going to talk shit, but here's the truth. I love all of the products that are coming out for Mr. And if you're at home, I would suggest whatever Mr. JAMA solution is first available. And then second has any of the features that you feel would benefit your setup most. They all perform absolutely great. Some do certain things better than others. However, if you ran an arcade and you ran arcade tournaments, today, right now, I would say get a Mr. Cade because 
Quark has sent that and made sure that some of the most crazy, scrutinizing arcade heads around the planet used it. And we all beat the crap out of it, and it's been fine. It's been fine for tournaments. It's been fine for home use. So my guess is that a couple months from now, by this time next year, I'd probably be saying something like, okay, here's you know the, the Mistercade, the Retro Castle, the Jamix, or whatever else. Here's what we've done. Here's our testing. And you know, pick whichever features you want better. Because all of those are excellent solutions. But there's only one so far that's been installed in arcades around the planet. And of course, I'm going to try to help because I don't. I really love all of this stuff. I don't want to play favorites because I, I love all of these different devices. So I'm going to try to get those other ones in different arcades around the world and try to get other people to help develop the stuff and, and get any features that we might want or might not want added to these. But with all of the respect and love to everybody else who makes these JAMA-based Mr. Things, we beat the shit out of the Mr. Cage and it's still kicking. So this time next year, I'll probably have... I'll probably say something like they're all been tested here are the ones that you know here's the features but for now uh, i mean i you know i, I know i'm going to get shit for saying this but i would definitely say mr cade if you run tournaments if you're at your house pick whichever one has the features you want and make sure to give polite feedback to the creators if you find anything wrong with it uh, but i think one of the biggest problems is part shortage and availability I think there may have been as many I.O. board choices or as many JAMA choices as there are I.O. board choices by now if a lot of the part shortage stuff hadn't happened. So, it, you know, it, it's really it's a combination of luck and a lot of hard work that Pork is still way on top of this one. Um, so hopefully that I, I tried to word that as politely as possible. I know I rambled way too long about it. I just I don't want people to walk away from this being like Bob talks shit about the retro castle JAMA. No, I love it. It's been in my Sammy cab. It's been what I've been using in these cabs for a while now. It's, it's nothing against any of the other sellers other than I think every nerd would agree. If you have, uh, you know, 100 people around the world beat the crap out of something. That's that's the safest bet for now. But as more of these get out, that's when my recommendations for pro environments will start to change. So hopefully, hopefully that came out in the right way. A couple of questions from Jason Guffey related to SCART splitters and distribution amps. First and foremost, if you're looking to take a couple of SCART inputs and split it to two outputs, the G-SCART switch is still the reigning king. I've tested every revision that's been out. Super G did an absolutely amazing job, and there aren't any of the problems of some of the other ones out there. Now, of course, the Ashenworks one is also excellent, but that's really designed more for people who have both JP21 and SCART and want some of those extra features, and especially have the ability to run any kind of video testing. I like that one a lot as well. But out of the ones I've tested, G-SCART's still the reigning king, especially because there's so many of them out there, and we've all beat the crap out of it, just like the example I just used with the JAMA stuff. Now, if you need more than two outputs, or if you need significantly more than, let's just say, 15 inputs, so you could daisy-chain two of those G-SCARTs together, that's when you really want to look into the Extron Matrix switchers. And... I think that a lot of the, the cross points with the BNC inputs are the easiest ones to go through because you could have console to BNC cables made. You could buy yourself uh, Voltar released uh, on OSH Park, I think, or whatever else. You could buy those boards. You could have them made for you. You could make them yourself and solder them together, but you could basically make your own SCART to BNC adapters. If you have C-Sync 
as your console SCART cable, as your sync on your console cable, you don't need anything. And for things like the PS1, you could add a sync stripper to it to go into the cross points, and that should be totally fine. Now, the only time I would suggest not doing that, let's just say you also have a whole bunch of VGA cables as well. Whether it's RGBS over D-sub, whether it's RGB, HV, 31 kilohertz, true VGA, whatever, Extron has a bunch of matrix switches for those as well. And while I, I don't remember testing an Extron one, I did test the brand Aten, A-T-E-N, and those all accepted sync over the horizontal sync pin. I think 13, I'm going off the top of my head, so I'm probably wrong about that. But I didn't need to connect horizontal sync to those. I only needed C-sync, but it, much exactly like the cross points, it had to be C-sync. It can't be composite video or Luma. So what I would suggest is look into cross points, and if that's not going to work for your setup, just look into other Extron Matrix VGA switches and just try to go from SCART to VGA. Now, most of that would be a passive cable. Same thing. If you have C-sync coming out of your consoles, you might just need a passive cable. And if you didn't, then you could use one of the adapters, just like the um, SCART to VGA. Uh, SCART Cleaner. SCART Cleaner would work. Uh, but there's a bunch of others out there as well. SCART Cleaner is just open source, so you can make your own. So, yeah, that's kind of what I would suggest for all of that. But most importantly, you're going to want to just step back and look at the total setup, right? Do you have one VGA cable, your PC, right? And But the rest of them are SCART at the moment the cross point's probably going to be easier to work through all of this stuff. And, you know, you could get the, the ones with audio in them and all that other stuff. But if you have a bunch of VGA cables, then it might be easier to go the other way. Really, it's about form and function rather than... Form and fit rather than function, I guess, is the better way to say it. So any other questions, let me know about that. Hopefully I was able to point you in the right direction. Well, that's it for this week. All the questions just happen to be on Patreon this week, but wherever it is that you support, if you want to ask a question, feel free. Just please ask in the latest Q&A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, just like you see today, I really like scrolling through in real time and just kind of answering these as if we were hanging out at a bar or a coffee shop or something. So whatever question you have, newest post, wherever it is that you support. And if for whatever reason I missed the question, please just re-ask or, or DM me directly. But anyway, as always, thanks to everybody who participates in these. And especially thank you to people who support in any way, because without you, none of this stuff would happen. So thanks very much, and I'll see you next week.